Hello, welcome. You're listening to one of our favourite episodes of the year. It's the Not The Top 20 podcast, EFL Playoff Preview, sponsored by Betfair. The EFL Playoffs, the greatest invention in sports, an incredible three weeks ahead. 12 teams, six semi-finals, and then three finals at Wembley in a few weeks' time. We want to tell you all about the teams involved, the players to watch, There'll be plenty of opinion as well. We're going to have a big old chat. Regular listeners to the pod know that we have a Monday pod generally recapping the weekend and a Thursday pod, which is our betting show. This episode is a rare hybrid, if you like. In that, we will be previewing the games, tactical analysis, player analysis, manager analysis, etc. But we will also be making a betting pick for each game. That's for those who listen to the betting show. That means this podcast is therefore for over 18s only. And please head to Be Gamblerware to brush up around the risks that come with gambling. I think we should start in the championship. George, and let's start with the third v sixth tie. That is Luton Town against Sunderland. If you want the story of final day, head back to our episode from Monday night. This is the playoff preview, so we don't need to tell you too much about how Sunderland got here, George, but it has been a hell of a month for them. One month ago, they were six points off the playoffs, four wins and two draws to finish. They needed a big second half at Preston and a big collapse from Millwall as well. Just an absolutely astounding achievement from a team that won the League One playoffs last season. George, let's just start off the field as a club, a transformational 18 months or so. It's just great to see this club back in good shape. And I think, you know, even if they don't go up this season, and in my mind, it probably wouldn't be the worst thing if they didn't, given I think they, they're probably not quite there yet. And there would be a long way to go in terms of recruitment in order to get themselves to be Premier League ready. It shouldn't cloud the fact that Tony Mowbray has come in at a difficult time and Alex Neil left the club and has done incredibly well. Christian Speakman, the sporting director, deserves massive credit for the recruitment. Kira Louis-Dreyfus, I think, as the owner, does too. Um, Sunderland were, under kind of two previous owners, I guess, held up as being how not to run a football club thanks to a, a Netflix series. And that has changed. And they are now, you know, the, the Deadwood has been cleared. They are run to a, a budget um, that is sustainable to them. Uh, and their fan base and the results coming on the pitch too and that should be applauded so well done all involved uh, let's start with the negatives Sunderland are suffering and have been for some time a remarkable injury crisis that somehow hasn't stopped them from chasing down the top six. First and foremost it was a problem up top Ross Stewart has suffered two major injuries this season still managed to hit double figures in the games that he has played he feels like a big miss uh, then how about Corey Evans, who provides such experience and a real screen in front of the defence in a defensive midfield role? He has been missing for some time. At the back is where it's probably worse. You're missing Danny Bat. You're missing Aji Elise. They've been missing Dan Ballard. There's some talk that he might be able to be patched up and, and play in these semi-finals. That would be huge. Uh, then, of course, on Monday as well. The left-back, Dennis Serkin, was subbed off injured. The right-back, Lyndon Gooch, came off injured. Still unclear as to whether either of those will be fit. It means that uh, Sunderland finished that game with a back three of Tri Hume, who is a right-back by trade, of Luco Nine, who is one of the great EFL utility players and has been doing a good job at centre-back, and Joe Anderson, who is a youngster that had previously played only 18 minutes of league football. So it's important to point out that they are suffering big time with injuries what they do have are match winners in attack 
and in particular Diallo and Patrick Roberts, who have both literally been match winners in the last couple of games, and Jack Clark, as you mentioned as well. They basically, God, they're so fun to watch. They basically play two right wingers. If you watch the way that they generally build up their attacks, uh, if you look at their average touch maps as individuals, you'll essentially see that Roberts and Diallo are both similar size, both left-footed, both highly technical players who can carry the ball, who love combining with with teammates, quick one-touch passing, and they both skew to the right side. Whether whether Mowbray sets one of them up as the 10 and the other as a right winger, it doesn't really matter. They're so interchangeable and they're absolute dynamite. So in terms of their biggest threat, I think it is that, it's that individual quality and, well, it's not even individual quality because they combine so well together and, and, and that makes them a bigger threat than they are just purely as individuals. We've seen Diallo score screamers with his left foot from outside the box. We've seen Roberts do the same. And then, of course, if you cheat too much and you and you're sucked too far over to Sunderland's right-hand side as a defence, you've got Jack Clark, who's just a huge danger holding you know high width on the left-hand side for the switch across. Uh, we've seen him many a time this season cutting inside and, and firing home with his right foot. So um, they are a serious threat going forward. Injury-wise, Luton are only really missing Rhys Burke, one of their centre-backs, and possibly Gab Osho here, who's been missing for the last few weeks. These are not ideal, but they're certainly not the end of the world, and they are not as impactful as Sunderland's injuries. A back three of Tom Lockyer, Sonny Bradley and Amari Bell will suit Luton just fine. And in midfield, it does look like Dan Neal and probably Equa are going to have to have the games of their life here because Luton's midfield is dynamic. They are incredible out of possession and they're pretty good on it as well. Marvellous Nakamba and Peli Ruddock and Panzu do a lot of the deeper defending. And then maybe Jordan Clark, maybe Alan Campbell, whoever it is, like leading the midfield press. Those guys are are absolute animals out of possession as well, uh, Clark and, and Campbell. So Neil and Equa are going to have to have incredible games and... They come up against a team in Luton who, George, under Rob Edwards, have just got better than they already were. First and foremost, they are excellent defensively. Uh, they've only conceded 14 goals in their last 21 league games. Digging deeper is pretty straightforward. They face very few shots. And the ones that they do face are rarely big chances. They're so tight in terms of defending their own box. They don't give a lot of space to opposition strikers. At the other end of the pitch, they have Carlton Morris and Elijah Adebayo, who are such a dangerous front two. Uh, Morris has 13 goals more than Adebayo. But if you look at the underlying numbers, uh, 0.4 XG per 90 for Morris and 0.36 for Adebayo. So it's it's Morris's overperformance in front of goal by about five goals more than his expected goals number and Adebayo underperforming by about five or six goals. It means that actually as a defence, although Morris has been in better form finishing-wise this season, you can't just focus more on him than Adebayo because Adebayo is still a massive threat. They're both good in the air. They both draw fouls. They can both carry the ball pretty well. Morris has seven assists. Adebayo has four assists. They, they really are, both of them, an all-round threat. Uh, so combined, they really are dangerous. Adebayo, particularly more than Morris as well, is an absolute menace when it comes to pressing defenders, covers ground so quickly and quite often will nip in and, and win the ball or quite often block a, a long pass or whatever it might be. So really good up top uh, in midfield. I spoke about whether it's Mpanzu, Nakamba and Clark or maybe Alan Campbell. They're in good shape. And the wingbacks we have to mention as well for Luton because uh, I've called Rob Edwards the wingback whisperer. That's because... At Forest Green, 
you have to say their, their two key attacking players were Kane Wilson and Nicky Cadden, the right wing back and the left wing back. Here you have Cody Dramer on the right side on loan from Leeds and Alfie Doughty on the left side. Um, Doughty's absolutely brilliant attacking left wing back. He's so quick, he's skillful, and his delivery is surprisingly good as well. He's had an incredible six months or so. Dramer on the other side is probably better physically. Um, he's better defensively, I'd say, one-on-one. He's not as good in terms of his delivery and his attacking output as Doughty, but as a duo, again, they offer quite a lot. So I think that they are, or should be, the sharper, more well-rested of the two. They should win the midfield battle. They've got bigger numbers and probably more established players at this point. They should be the stronger set-piece threat, certainly, with Sunderland's issues with height in particular at the back. And Morris and Adebayo should be able to have some joy against that patched-up Sunderland back line. So, you know, all of that, George, could be mitigated if Sunderland and Diallo and Roberts and Clark really come to play. And boy, would that be good to watch. But personally, I'm, I'm leaning towards Luton. Yeah, I agree. I agree. As you say, I think the when you compare the um, physical state of both of these uh, sides, you know, I've mentioned the Sunderland uh, injuries, but as you mentioned, not just Morris Adebayo being rested, but also you know Lockyer was rested as well. Um, Drama was rested too. You know, they're basically any players who needed a bit of a break. Have they been able to give them that? And that I think just makes them in a far better position. Not to mention that they have been a much better team over the course of the season and come into this in as good, if not better, form than, than Sunderland. So I'm in total agreement. I think Luton are definitely the likelier to, to go through. Uh, in terms of a betting pick for the semi-final, using the Betfair Sportsbook, I, based on everything that I've said, and in particular the the aerial dominance that I expect Luton to have, I can't look past Tom Lockyer at 20 to 1 anytime. Uh, he's been a bit of a cult hero on the betting show this season anyway because uh, when you took a few weeks and uh, Nick Goff stepped in for you uh, there was that amazing <laughs> amazing thing where Goffy picked Tom Lockyer to score anytime uh, and Betfair tweeted on the Friday or maybe the Saturday morning that Lockyer had been backed to score more than any other player in world football that weekend <laughs> um, such was the convincing argument that, that uh, Goffy made for Lockyer to score um, he's 20 to 1 anytime with the Betfair Sportsbook and I'll be backing that in the first leg where do you think the value is uh, on the betting front? Well, you know, as, as I say, Luton are um, with the Betfair Sportsbook favourites to, to qualify. I think that's correct. Not surprising. Um, but I do think that when you consider the form of both of these sides home and away, as you mentioned, Luton, their away form is, is incredibly strong. Sunderland's home form is, is really quite poor. It doesn't really tally in my mind, therefore, that we've got Sunderland being, you know, heavy favourites. Well, not heavy favourites, but significant favourites um, as the home side in this one. I, I don't think there's any reason why they should be six to four with Luton, fifteen to eight, when you consider the, the to qualify prices. Even though I understand that, um, you know, home advantage is normally a thing, and but you know, it hasn't really been the case so far this um, for, for either side. So, draw no bet. Luton is nineteen to twenty, which I think appeals because it's probably going to be a pretty pretty low scoring game. It means you've got the one all and nil nil as insurance, but if Luton can squeeze by, you're nearly doubling your money. So that's my selection. George, the other semi final in the championship, fourth against fifth, is Middlesbrough against Coventry. We literally saw this fixture take place within the last seventy two hours. It was one all on final day. It is the battle of two former Manchester United footballers, Michael Carrick and Mark Robbins. One of them very much in the first year of his managerial uh, career. And Mark Robbins has been around the block, but has surely never been as good as he is right now. George, give me a Middlesbrough and Coventry playoff preview dump. 
Well, again, th- I think there's a big thing to talk about here in terms of, of the fitness of Borough as a squad. I mean, there were a few players returned to the starting lineup um, in the game against Coventry uh, the, on, on final day that were welcome uh, and needed to come back. You know, we've seen Ryan Giles have injury issues recently. We've seen Riley McGree have injury issues recently. Both of them played 90 minutes, which, which I think is a, a massive plus point. But there are still a few players missing. Um, I don't think we can overstate the importance of Aaron Ramsey uh, coming in in January and, and his form. Um, it looks like, you know, he, I know he was sent back to Villa for his rehab. It, he's not in the matchday squad currently. It seems unlikely he's going to play much of a part, if any, in, in these games unless something significantly changes. Johnny Housen in midfield, you know, incredibly important. Um, another player who, who wasn't in the squad um, in that game. Will he come back? You know, we're guessing. Um, but those are some pretty significant absentees and some pretty significant players who, who maybe aren't up to full fitness. Um, for Coventry, that isn't really the case, apart from the, the long-term absentee in, in Callum O'Hare, who of course is you know a, a loss, but at the same time, they haven't had him for a long time and it hasn't really seemed to affect them too much. So um, you can't be be too concerned. And um, with Jokares and Harmer in decent form um, and the back three of McFadden, McNally and Doyle being so good um, since January, um, I think this is an incredibly hard game to call. Um, I know that Borough will be popular with many because of their form under Michael Carrick. Um, they have tailed off a little bit in terms of performances since their you know, top three bid um, was, was done. They lost the game at Luton where they played okay. They were, they were beaten by Rotherham and Juwano with Borough. So definitely concerns in my mind about their, their form coming into this. With Coventry, um, you know, I think this is going to be a very interesting stylistic game where we saw Borough completely dominate possession in that, that game between the two the other day. Um, they had 73% possession, um, but Coventry won't mind that at all because they're a good side um, in out of possession they're very resolute and they've got incredibly talented attacking players uh, on the counter-attack with Jokeres kind of being the ideal counter-attacking front man it should be I mean I'm always kind of hesitant to say this in playoff games because the stakes are higher and generally the games aren't very high scoring but this really should be over two legs a pretty entertaining <laughs> affair like I don't really see why Michael Carrick should um, tear up what has been a pretty successful blueprint over the season, which is basically attack, 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 attack. Um, Even if their last few games without any real uh, motivation to do so haven't been like that. Uh, And if they do do that, then Coventry should be able to pick them off. So entertaining, I hope, and, and really, really difficult to call. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I cannot wait to watch both of these games. I'm glad that you focused on things sort of stylistically because, you know, I love football tactics. I like the the alchemy of, of games between two teams that have different uh, objectives, different ways of, of hurting each other. I don't think that every single uh, tie in the playoffs will be fascinating tactically, but this is, is probably the number one for me. Uh, Middlesbrough, just the most fantastic attacking team, fantastic to watch. The rotations that they use when they build the ball out wide are excellent, but I love them most when they're playing quick passes through the lines. Hackney in particular, really good fizzing balls into, into Akpom. Uh, and then once the ball's into Akpom's feet, when you've got the movement of Archer, when you've got the, the movement of, let's say, Force or, or whoever will play on the right side, it, it might be Isaiah Jones who... You know, came out of the team for, for quite a few months, really, but it's still such a, a dangerous player, 1v1 in particular, that he could absolutely have a big say in these playoffs, you'd think. Um, these games should be brilliant. I, I must admit that weighing it all up, I think this is the worst possible opponent for Middlesbrough. I think I would have backed them to beat maybe all of the other candidates that they could have played, including Luton, maybe, because... 
I mean, they played the other day. It's difficult to, to put too much on it because both teams were, were you know, kind of playing possum and, and not trying to show their cards too much. And there was a lot of rotation. But Borough, to me, on the night, were much the better side, even though Luton won the game 2-1. And, you know, I was definitely looking at that with interest in case there is a, a Middlesbrough-Luton uh, match at some point. But I lean towards Coventry City to go through here. I think they are the worst possible opponent for Borough for the reasons that you mentioned. Coventry are a team that, really enjoy defending. Robbins has built a team over the course of the season that have learned to love basically holding their shape out of possession and are very, very comfortable doing so. They've kept the second most clean sheets in the championship after Burnley, 20 in total. Uh, and when you consider that they only had, was it one win in their first eight games? You know, this is something that has really developed over the course of the season to the point where they are in fantastic shape, the best shape that they've been in heading into the playoffs. The other reason why they love defending and they're happy to sit deep and they're happy to maintain their shape is because it gives them the best opportunity to hurt teams. They want the opposition to have the ball so that they can break on the counter-attack where they are absolutely devastating. But Middlesbrough want the ball. So as you say, that's how you end up with 70-75% possession in these games. That's absolutely fine for both teams. Borough want to create chances from possession play. They can play quickly through the lines when the ball's on. They can cut through defences, but they're equally more than happy building up and holding the ball as a, a, you know, a, a way of creating chances and good chances, but also as a kind of defensive uh, tactic as well, because what they are not is a team that look that comfortable defending. Uh, and obviously they've got great finishes as well, Borough. So there's every chance if they are playing at their peak level, even against a, a resolute commentary defence, they could slice through them. But I sort of think the quote from Zoolander springs to mind when I think of Borough. And the quote from Zoolander is, there's more to life than being really, really, ridiculously good looking. <laughs> and I sort of think there's more to play off football than being really, really, really ridiculously good at attacking. I think there's quite a lot more to the game. And Borough do give up big chances to their opposition on average, once or twice a game, looking at the underlying numbers before this game. Their XG against is poor. Their goals conceded record is poor. And I think it's a nightmare because it doesn't take much for Coventry to turn defence into attack. They only have to attack with three players. And if you watch all the goals they've scored for the last two months, you will see the theme. Them winning the ball back, them playing one good pass through the lines from maybe one of the defensive midfield players. And then they just attack with Jerkeres in the left-sided channel, with Harmer breaking through the middle, and he's so good and he's so skillful, Harmer. And then Matty Godden, who I think really keeps defences honest because although he might not scare you as much as Jerkeres and Harmer, he's a brilliant finisher and he's shown that with two particularly very good finishes over the last few weeks. They only need to attack with three, so they don't leave themselves very open when they lose the ball. They just get back into their shape and they go again. Um, it's going to be fascinating. Set pieces are interesting here as well because Borough are a, a net negative set piece team. They've conceded more than they've scored this season, which is pretty unusual for a top team, whereas Coventry are almost even weirder. They've scored the fewest set piece goals in the whole championship and they've conceded the set, fewest set piece goals in the whole championship. So I don't know what happens in set pieces in Coventry games, but they almost never <laughs> make a big difference. Uh, it's it's fascinating, George. My stance is Borough could blow them away, but I think it's just as likely that Coventry caused them consistent issues on the counter. And I think Coventry will go through when I play that out in my head a thousand times. They win 501. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I kind of... 
you know, if I was looking at this from a betting viewpoint, I would not be backing Borough at four to nine to qualify, and I'd probably be happy enough to back Coventry at thirteen to eight without being overly excited. I kind of go the other way, but I think if you played this game a thousand times, I do think Middlesbrough would probably progress the more times, but not as is reflected in the betting market. If that makes sense, I think it's incredibly tight and very, very hard to to call. And, and it wouldn't surprise me at all, um, you know, if, as you say, Coventry did uh, wipe the floor with them. And there's a part of me that thinks that Coventry are coming into this maybe just in a better in a better spot than Borough um, right now especially off-pitch, you know, all the successes they've achieved um, with off-pitch issues with Doug King taking over midway through the season. The club just kind of feels a bit galvanised and, um, you know, a Premier League mainstay of the 90s are finally on the verge, having, you know, diced with, well, having been in some pretty dicey waters not that long ago. Um, What a story it would be. Uh, In terms of my kind of blessing selection for this, I've looked at the goal-scoring markets um, because I do think that there's a chance there might be a fair few goals here. And when you look... And you see that Chubrakpom is fifteen to eight. This is in the first leg, fifteen to eight to score any time. Cameron Archer's thirteen to five. Like they're, you know, Archer's probably not bad value there at the thirteen to five. But I do think the one that looks really overpriced is Riley McGree, who's eleven to two. Um, I think we can be pretty confident that he'll start on the left hand side of the front four. I think we can be pretty confident he'll play ninety minutes. He's scored six goals already this season. Um, he's kind of due, having gone on a bit of a winless run but he normally takes at least one shot in every game um he had two against Coventry last time out um he's only had he's only failed to have a shot in a start uh once this season against Millwall back in in January um often racking up a few you know he's not a high xg chance um kind of guy a lot of these will be pot shots it's the kind of player that he is but he's certainly got an eye for goal and he's someone who you know if this does turn into a bit of a shootout especially with um you know what's at stake and I could see uh, him well I actually think he's a big price basically so that would be my selection um, but if you wanted one for, you know to qualify then I, I wouldn't put you off the commentary at 13 to 8 uh, yeah you mentioned it and I'm going in for it my anytime goal scorer uh, is Cameron Archer 3.6 with the Betfair Sportsbook clearly I've, I've kind of nailed my colours to the sky blue mast my sky blue colours to the mast anyway something like that having said that as I've recognised a few times, Borough's attacking output is sensational. Cameron Archer uh, is is too long here at 3.6. You know, 3, 3.6 as a decimal price implies uh, about 28% probability of, of this landing. And Archer has, has has scored, what is it, eight in his last 10 games, uh, two braces. So in terms of an anytime goal scorer bet landing, it's six of the last 10 starts. Uh, his his XG numbers are pretty impressive, as you can imagine, because he gets a lot of service. But he's also the sort of player that can create his own shot. He can finish with his left foot, his right foot, and his head. I, I just think, you know, at this stage of the season, if you're getting a player that I consider to be such a proven goal scorer in a really good attacking team at 3.6, it's uh, it's a bit of a gift. So Cameron Archer anytime at, at 3.6, I, I think, is the value uh, personally. Now, before we move on, I'm, I just want to indulge myself. Shock! I've thought so much <laughs> about these games. I've come up. George with a very specific goal prediction not a betting prediction just a goal that I think each team could score I'm going to do one for each team and we'll see if uh, if a couple of these come off because I've watched a lot of a lot of these teams so I reckon Luton uh, we're going to see an Adebayo back post header after an Alfie Doughty like j- after Doughty just sort of hangs one up right for Borough, Archer's going to score after being played through one-on-one. I think it'll be a very quick transition as well. Within a few seconds of, of Borough winning the ball, Hackney or Akpon will fizz it through. Archer will finish. 
Where does he put it? Second touch. Depends what foot he's using, mate. Left foot, it'll go right side corner. Right foot, it'll go left side corner. Not a little dink. No, no, not a little dink. He doesn't waste time with dinks. He just, he just, he's an efficient finisher. Uh, commentary, <laughs> just obvious one. This soaking up pressure out of possession, win the ball in their defensive third, ball into the left channel for Giok, latches onto it, dips inside McNair, smashes it in from 18 yards. Uh, and for Sunderland, um, a sub five foot nine footballer curling in with their left foot from 18 yards. But I'm not going to tell you which one because it could be, <laughs> it could be any of them. Why don't we do our predictions for the championship now? Who do you think? Okay, talk me through the bracket for the championship. I, I'm definitely approaching this in like a you know value point of view, uh, and I think that Luton um, will will get past Sunderland. As I said, I think value terms Coventry um, provide the value, but I think Borough are probably the the, the likelier of the two to, to get by, um, which would provide a, a Luton Borough final. And I'm backing Luton. I, I think Luton. Probably not far off being the likely winners in total, and that's not reflected in the in the betting markets where we've got uh, Middlesbrough thirteen to eight favourites and Luton at eleven to four. I mean that seems unbelievably short for Borough. I couldn't go near that at all. I think Luton have been the third best side of the whole of the campaign. As we say, they've only lost um, two games this calendar year in the league. One of which was against Burnley, the other against West Brom. Um, their away form, I think, is. You, especially when you're going somewhere like the Stadium of Light, is important. You could also help them in a neutral venue as well. Um, they are, in, in Rob Edwards, they've got a manager who's achieved a promotion last season. Um, there's just a lot to like, and I'm, I'm really surprised that they are the price that they are. I, I'd have thought they'd be a, a lot shorter reflecting that. You know, for them and Sunderland to both be 11-4 to to, to win the playoffs makes no sense to me at, at all, with Luton quite clearly, in my mind, the more likely. Yeah, for me, uh, Luton will play in the final against Coventry City and I've got a feeling that Luton will do it. I think that uh, for Coventry, Borough is a really good game for them tactically. I think Luton slightly less so. I don't think that they would have the opportunity to counter-attack quite as much. I think Luton are are the best all-round team, um, as discussed earlier. So I've got Luton beating Coventry in the final and winning that promotion to the Premier League, prompting a flood of pictures of their away end going viral good mm-hmm. stuff uh in league one george it strikes me we got four cracking teams uh it's been so strong at the top end uh we got sheffield wednesday we got barnsley we got bolton we always knew those teams would be in in the playoffs for the last few weeks but we've also got peterborough who punched their way in uh, on final day they did so beating barnsley uh they did so with sheffield wednesday beating derby uh, in order to pave the way for them george and it sets up at third versus sixth sheffield wednesday uh, against Peterborough, maybe let's start on the on the posh side. We've spoken so much about Wednesday over the last few months. What changed, would you say, to make Peterborough a top six team rather than one that previously looked like they would be okay but just about miss out? I mean, they they were very close to being a team that were just about that were okay but just about miss out. Um, I think Darren Ferguson's arrival clearly instigated a, a massive improvement in terms of the the you know their attacking threat and um, and their form generally. I think certain key young players improving over the season went on specifically Efren Mason Clark and Kwame Poku has been a big uh, a big plus point Johnson Clark Harris's goals are, are obviously crucial here and I think that's kind of my idea coming into this is that I don't think many you know obviously pre-season aspirations were to finish in the in the top six but over the course of the campaign it, it never really looked that likely and kind of Ferguson was brought in almost as like an interim manager to the end of the season like all of this almost feels like it's happened by mistake um, not because they didn't want to, but just it, it wasn't really necessarily on the cards until about 
six weeks ago. And it just feels like a bit of a free hit in my mind where like, I don't think there's massive... There are very few teams, I think, going into these playoffs without a weight of expectation. But I think Posh are kind of won where they, they're playing against a side with 96 points over two legs, having pulled off an unbelievable 2-0 win at, at Barnsley on final day to force their way in, needing results elsewhere to go their way that, that they did. I don't think, even if Peterborough get dispatched 7-0 in aggregate by Wednesday, I don't think there can be any rumblings of discontent over the job that Darren Ferguson has done and the way they finished the season. And I think that makes them quite a dangerous opposition, really, where I think Wednesday are the better side. I think Wednesday um, you know, should beat them over, over two legs. But if they are complacent, and if they do put in the performance levels of the kind that we saw a few weeks ago during their slump, I think they're playing a very dangerous opponent who will, unlike other teams they played then, who are much poorer, you know, Oxford being one of them, Cheltenham being another, they will maximise on that and they will beat them because you've got key, key attacking players like, um, you know, the, the the joint top goal scorer in the league in Clark Harris and, the, and the, you know, the attacking players I mentioned a second ago. Having, you know, and the other, you know, amateur psychology part of this to me is that Wednesday... You know, yes, they've put the disappointment behind them. Um, I, I still think it's incredibly harsh to to judge Darren Moore harshly off the back of a 96-point haul. But there, there's no question that the poor results and performances came at, a, at the time where the pressure was the highest. So this is a group of players who've already had kind of promotion in their grasp and conspired to throw it away against some pretty poor opposition. And then when the pressure was off again, when they were chasing or, you know, when the chance of getting promoted at all had gone, then the performances and the results got better again. Um, the return of Josh Windass is massive. You know, he played 25 minutes uh, on Sunday and you'd think he's probably going to be fit enough to at least start, if not finish these games. But there's such a difference in terms of the, the mentality of both clubs coming into this, where you know, I mentioned it's a free hit for Posh. It is not a free hit in any way whatsoever for Wednesday, where the fans are totally expectant. It's as simple now, really, in, my, in many of their eyes, that if Darren Moore doesn't take them up through the playoffs, then he's failed and he should be sacked. And if they go up, then that's fine, which is an incredibly high risk and reward position to be in. I think Hillsborough will be a fairly nervy place for them to play in this playoff semi-final in the, um, in the second leg. I think they will pack out Wembley and again... It, you know, it'll be incredible if they do it. But again, the weight of expectation is going to make it a difficult environment. And I, and I haven't seen a great deal necessarily in the last few weeks to say that they're going to flourish within that environment. Um, having said that, I still do think that they are the team who should be able to progress. But there are, you know, this isn't... The, the odds would kind of have you think that they are, um, you know, this is almost a bit of a foregone conclusion. They are, eight, you know, they're 8-13 to 13 to qualify. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's that. Oh, you've actually made me a bit nervy after that. <laughs> Very nicely set up. Uh, in, in terms of a neutral watching this game, there should be some real enjoyment watching Peterborough United in attack. They... Uh, as a club in their in their very DNA is attacking football is quality and skillful attacking players and goal scorers and they got all of the above uh, on the left side of the front three Efron Mason Clark they signed from Barnet from non-league he stepped up two divisions and certainly in the last few months he has really made himself at home in League One he's a, a very efficient wide forward I would say in that he doesn't like fanny about with it he doesn't try a ton of tricks or anything like that he's just a good direct runner he makes 
takes runs in behind. He can um, play with off both feet, which means he's a threat when he's cutting inside and running, you know, towards the goal at a defender because you, you can't just send him down the line. Um, Kwame Poku on the other side was in our EFL 21 under 21 list this year. He is a quality and purely skillful footballer. He can uh, create chances with, with good passing. He can cut in from the right-hand side and deliver good in-swinging crosses, which he does often to Johnson Clark Harris. He can be a goal threat as well, although I'd like to see a bit more from him on that front. He's not as much of a sort of efficient goal scorer, I wouldn't say, compared to Mason Clark. Uh, and then you've got Johnson Clark Harris, who was joint top scorer in League One in a season where uh, the narrative was that he hadn't even played particularly at, at, at his highest level so far in his career. Maybe not as good as he was two years ago when he scored over 30 goals and won the Golden Boot. So uh, that's what you have at the top end of the pitch. And, and that's why Sheffield Wednesday will, will never be comfortable here, because as soon as they give the ball away, if Peterborough can get the first pass right, there's going to be uh, obviously some difficult moments for that. Sheffield Wednesday back line they've also got Jack Taylor um, at the sort of most advanced midfielder like an attacking number eight uh, he's a, a real threat from range he's got a powerful strike has scored some worldies this season he's happy breaking into the box and, and makes really ambitious runs as well so certainly going forward I think Peterborough are, are a good force and should add a lot to this tie I said before final day that I thought Sheffield Wednesday would prefer to play Peterborough than Derby County. And that's why I felt like they'd make sure they gave it a good go against Derby. As it was, they beat Derby. Peterborough did their part. They are playing Peterborough United. The reason I felt they'd be more comfortable playing Peterborough is a kind of stylistic and almost like a squad makeup type thing. I like watching Peterborough attack. There's no doubt about that. But I don't particularly trust them defensively. I've I've called them an unserious team a few times this season. And that's just in comparison to some of the top teams in League One. An unserious team for me is a team that when the going gets really tough and when they're playing the very top teams in the division, uh, struggles and doesn't hit the, the heights. An unserious team is the sort of team that thumps everyone in the bottom half 4-0 um, but doesn't have a very good record against the top teams. And Peterborough away from home this season against the top 10 in, in League One have only won one game. That was on final day against Barnsley, a Barnsley team that you could argue were you know, not at their highest motivation levels heading into the playoffs. They've lost all the other games against the top 10 apart from a one or draw away at Charlton. Not a great record in games where the going got tough, I think it's fair to say. Even at home, they beat Argyle 5-2. They beat Sheffield Wednesday actually uh, 2-0. They beat Derby and they beat Portsmouth, but they also got thumped at home by Ipswich 3-0, by Wickham 3-0, by Bolton 5-0. They lost 2-1 to Barnsley as well. So I think that's a big reason why Wednesday will fancy themselves. They are undeniably a strong outfit. They picked up 96 points. At home, Wednesday, exceptional. 16 wins, 6 draws and just 1 defeat at home in the regular season. They scored over 2 goals a game and they concede well under 1 a game at Hillsborough. And even like specifically when it comes to the way they attack, I think this suits them much better than playing Derby. Wednesday are a team that get a lot from crosses into the box. They average the most crosses in the box, into the box per game in League One. Mostly they come from the left side, where for me the key players are Marvin Johnson, the left wing back, and Barry Bannon, uh, who's the best technical player in the division, who likes to drift out wide into that little left side uh, channel and whip in good crosses from deep. Now they're crossing into Michael Smith, who is the striker in League One with the highest aerial win percentage, the best striker in the air in the division. And for me, that's a big issue for Peterborough United because their centre-backs, Frankie Kent and Ronnie Edwards, are not super aerially dominant centre-backs. In fact, Ronnie Edwards has one of the lowest aerial win percentages of any centre-back in League One and, and Kent is basically middle of the pack. So I can see some issues here 
if their right side can't stop good delivery, and I think they might struggle, whether it's Ward playing right back, who's not the best defensively better going forward, whether it's Josh Knight playing a little bit out of position at right back, I don't feel great about this for Peterborough. So I think uh, attacking down Wednesday's left side, good delivery into the box is going to cause problems, whether it's Smith heading it in, or whether it's the likes of Gregory and Windass picking up the scraps, I'm not 100% sure. Maybe even the, the right wing back arriving late at the back post. But I can see clear ways that Sheffield Wednesday can and will repeatedly hurt Peterborough. And that makes me worry a little bit because even though I think Posh will be good on the break, and I think that there are ways that, that sometimes the Wednesday back line can look a little bit creaky. Overall, I think Wednesday too strong for Peterborough and the uh, the winners of this tie. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree. Um, despite the, you know, the, the doubt that I've cast, um, it's more just... You know, I wouldn't be getting involved with Wednesday. I think Wednesday are the likely team to get through and I think the likely team to probably win the playoffs, all things considered. But there are enough doubts to kind of put me off. The, the, you know, my, my, my selection of this one is Wednesday just to win the game in 90 minutes at 13-8. to 8. Basically just, you know, if they are able to put in the levels of performance we know they can do. And with Peterborough's home form, generally very good, but coming into this, um, not great. Yeah, looking at their recent home form, I mean, their last four games um, against Oxford, Bristol Rovers, Exeter and Ipswich, they only won one. They drew 0-0 with both Oxford and Bristol Rovers, so uh, losing to Ipswich and beating Exeter. Uh, they've also lost recently 3-0 at home to, to Cheltenham, so it's not all good. Um, and yeah, I think if, if Wednesday are to justify how short they are to TQ, then I, I don't think the 13-8 to about them to win this first leg um, reflects that. So that would be the way I'd play it, but very tentatively. Yeah, and and despite thinking that Wednesday will go through, and despite thinking that Matt Smith, in, uh, Michael Smith rather in particular, will be a threat, uh, I think the best value goal scorer personally is Jack Taylor, seven to one any time. He has been unlocked by Darren Ferguson. He, he is not shy to have a go from range, and he has got the power in, in his shot to to cause problems when he hits the target. So I think at seven to one any time, I do see him as a a, 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 a someone who I think will be a goal threat in the uh, semi final, both away and at home, uh, which moves us on to Barnsley against Bolton George 4th v 5th Barnsley got 86 points Bolton got 81 points Bolton have already played and won at Wembley this year a 4-0 win in the Papa John's Trophy final against Plymouth Argyle I think of the six ties this is the one I find most difficult to call so I'd like to hear your initial thoughts on Barnsley against Bolton there's a really interesting kind of part of this where if you look at Barnsley's season um, this season a turning point in my mind was when they were beaten 3-0 uh, at home by uh, by Bolton. Where I mean, they have been good at home prior to that. They'd won the last four home games. But that was kind of the, the game which instigated this just unbelievable, relentless run of dominating teams at home. You know, they scored 28 goals in, uh, in nine league game, home league games after that. And... In my mind, you know, we've spoken about how Mike Duff at Cheltenham was more, a more pragmatic manager and we're now seeing at Barnsley them being a, a team who scored a lot of goals. And I kind of think that this is almost a case where that game maybe just freed up Mike Duff. He thought, actually, you know what? We've done this in the past. We've got in Devante Cole and, um, and Nicky Cadden and James Norwood, we've got attacking players who've, who've shown that they can really dominate games at this level. Let's take the handbrake off a bit. And um, coming into this, there are clearly 
and maybe rightly some concerns over Barnsley's form coming coming in. It kind of puts me off a little bit about how you had Mike Duff, which managers very rarely do. You know, Mike Duff came out after it was confirmed that they were going to um, miss out on automatic promotion and basically spoke publicly about how important it was to keep standards up and how they wouldn't be letting their standards slip. And then they kind of did exactly that. Um, they were beaten 3-0 at home to Ipswich. They had ridiculous 4-all draw at, at MK Dons. Where yes, they came back to draw 4-all, having been 4-1 down, but to concede four goals in quick succession to a team who then went on and got relegated um, isn't the best bit of form. And then the 2-0 defeat to Peterborough on final day, where actually, if you look into that game itself, um, they weren't bad. They were fairly wasteful in front of goal. It was a game that didn't really... A scoreline didn't really reflect the way that the game went. Um so, concerns on paper, but not necessarily, I don't think, in the performances themselves. With Bolton, it's kind of the opposite, where you look at Bolton's form at the moment and you think, like, yeah, this is a team playing really well. A lot of wins recently, only two defeats dating back, um, at home at least, dating back for a long time, um, I think, till to, to December. But then again, you look at the kind of method of these victories where they're, they're kind of consistently unable to really hammer home their advantage, um, they beat in Exeter, Oxford, Shrewsbury all by one goal margin and Bristol Rovers on final day as well. They were beaten by Accrington in that kind of bizarre game in midweek. Um, a 2-0 win over Fleetwood is the only time where they've kind of covered the minus one with, with a win, dating back to when they beat MK Dons 5-0 on, on Valentine's Day. And in that time, they've also been beaten by Wickham, Pompey, um, Ipswich, and they've dropped points in games where they, they probably shouldn't have done. You know, they, were, they dropped points at Morecambe where they drew 0-0, home to Cambridge as well, uh, away at Burton. And in my mind, this is maybe, you know, we should say there was that incredible 4-0 win over Plymouth Argyle, which I think is important here because that is probably the most similar game to what they're facing here, where they've got a high-level opposition in what is effectively a cup game, which Ian Everett has to prepare his players for, specifically in a high-pressure situation, and they came through with flying colours. And that means that, you know, that they definitely deserve respect in terms of, of this kind of profile. And if they did get to Wembley... Um, high-pressure game too. Um, but I do just think maybe they... And, and I saw them live against Oxford in the game that they won 1-0 and I was not impressed. Um, having gone 1-0 up, they looked like a team who, you know, weren't particularly comfortable trying to press on that lead and they kind of dropped in and given they've got the second highest possession I think in, the, in in League One it was kind of weird to see them really drop into their shell and basically rely on James Trafford making saves in order to keep them in that I mean I think Trafford is a massive plus he's the best keeper in the league the best shot stopper certainly um, but I I think it's easy to get overcome with recency bias especially when it comes to results and I do think there is a fair gap between these two teams and I think if Barnsley are able to replicate their form from the best part. And I know that obviously Bolton beat them 3-0 recently and that's totally fair, although I think Barnsley beat them in the FA Cup. Um, I think Barnsley are the rightful favourites. And and if they were to kind of hit the, the highs of recently, especially you know if they can come away from this first leg level, I think they'll, um, they'll ease clear in the second leg. Yeah, it's going to be really entertaining because Barnsley's style as you mentioned is so gung-ho and and possibly not what people would have expected from a Mike Duff team after his uh, success at Cheltenham and and how much that was based on incredible shape out of possession incredible discipline uh, and then you know goal scoring on top of that but not hugely expansive play Uh, even as you mentioned like they started the season and they were not 
really cutting loose. They weren't conceding many, but they weren't scoring very many either. But in 2023, they've scored over two goals a game. They've also conceded more than a goal a game. Uh, so they have, you know, slipped a little on the defensive side in order to, to turn into this kind of gung-ho team. And it, it means that they're great to watch. Very high octane. Uh, they attack with speed, l- high shot volume, lots of shots from range. Uh, particularly Adam Phillips, uh, Phillips and Herbie Kane are, are big threats from outside the box. Their long passing is really good, a big feature of their play. You'll see Liam Kitching, the left centre-back in particular, plays a lot of big switches out to the right side. Jordan Williams, the right wing-back, who who I like a lot. Uh, Herbie Kane's passing range is excellent as well. Luca Connell's got quality in that left boot. And they score a lot of goals from set pieces, more than one every other game, so we can probably rely on a set-piece goal for Barnsley. And they've got four good striker options, uh, Norwood and Devante Cole, but also Waters and Tedic have both kind of picked up a little bit in the last few weeks in the cameos they've been given. I think enough to feel like, you know, if one of those was to come on for, for a half an hour burst, you, you could probably be confident that they'd add to the team rather than take away from it. So a really good side. They counter-press well. Um, they're, they're very aggressive out of possession. They will get after the ball once they lose it, uh, particularly Herbie Kane and Adam Phillips, you know, the midfield too. Um, they will get after it as, as well as the, the strikers. But you can play through that, or rather, if you can play through that, you can create good chances. Uh, Connell, the defensive midfielder, is not a very good defensive player. He's he's a ball player. He's he's not the most mobile. He's not the most comfortable defending big spaces. So I think if you can play through the press, then you can create chances. The good news for Bolton is that they're probably the most focused team of the four on possession and they've probably spent the most time building patterns of play from the back the other teams in the playoffs I'd say broadly play a mixed style in that they can play through the thirds but they can also happily and do go long Bolton don't really go long they're pretty wedded to a possession style of play Um, They want to build into the final third and create cutbacks and and thread little balls through for for Dion Charles in particular. They don't take a lot of long shots. They really are very patient in possession. So could they have the quality to play through Barnsley's press? Yes, they could. I guess one of my issues is that up front, Dion Charles has been absolutely hammered this season. He's played so many minutes. He's had some great spells in front of goal. He's had some quieter spells in front of goal. But it's more his strike partner where I don't feel like Everett's really nailed down who it's going to be and and therefore I don't know if they've got a front two in great form whether it's Adeboyejo, whether it's Lundulu those two join in January, whether it's Kachunga, whether it's Shoratire playing at the tip, there hasn't seemed a huge amount of consistency on that front I also think they've got an obvious weakness at left wing back, whether it's Randall Williams who's a very attack minded left wing back, or whether it's Declan John, again I just think in such a strong playoff picture, though that's an obvious weak spot for, for one of the four teams but they do have an incredible defensive record. 37 times out of 46, they either kept a clean sheet or only conceded one. That's the best record in the division uh, of zeros and ones. Uh, Santos is back from injury, which feels big. Uh, they've had some some awkward defensive absences in the last few weeks. But if they go into this with Owen to- Toal, Ricardo Santos and Johnston as a back three, that is lovely. That's what they need. Great keeper in Trafford. Just a, a fascinating game. A fascinating tie, uh, George. I think we're basically on the same wavelength. A good team, Bolton, but Barnsley a little bit better. So very, very tight, but Barnsley to get through would be my pick. Um, my goal scorer pick is, is Kyle Dempsey of Bolton. As I say, they haven't got a ton of goal threats at the moment. And I think outside of Dion Charles, Dempsey's the one who recently uh, has been playing very uh, attacking midfield role, getting into the box, um, getting close to Charles. And at 11-2 to any time, I just think if they are able to have some good possession, get some cutbacks to the edge of the box, Dempsey feels the most likely to be on the end of them. So Kyle Dempsey, 11-2 to is my uh, anytime pick. Yeah, I'm going for under 1.5 goals 
in the first leg at 23 to 10. As I mentioned, Bolton game is a very, very low margin at the moment. Um, not a team who necessarily look to press on when they get ahead. And I think for Barnsley, this is going to be a case of let's get whatever we can out of this game and get them back to work well, where we can make our dominance count. Um, you know, they had a nil-nil draw at Lincoln the other day. They were nil-nil draw at Bristol Rovers too recently. So despite their high scoring, you know, they are prone in some games against maybe more conservative opposition um, to have these low scoring affairs. And I think, you know, would Barnsley take a 1-0 defeat now? Probably not, but there are worse results. So I think getting the 1-0 the either way or the 0-0 on side um, is a decent matchup for these two at a, at a fair price. Uh, as very specifically, one playoff goal predictions, uh, Wednesdays will be a, a deep cross from Barry Bannon or Marvin Johnson from the byline, uh, a Smith back post header over the top of Ronnie Edwards. Can't be having oars. Can't call it a very specific and then, then you know, rattle off a couple of potential assisters. Uh, Peterborough will be a counter-attack. Mason Clark out on the left side. Uh, he'll cut inside or maybe get get to the byline. Clark Harris will drag the defenders into the six-yard box and that'll allow space for Poku to sweep home from the cutback. We saw that exact goal at the Kassam in front of our eyes a few months ago. Uh, Barnsley will be a, a big switch out to Jordan Williams by Liam Kitching uh, or maybe Herbie Kane. Sorry for the awe. Uh, Williams will drive and then cut it back for Adam Phillips to smash home from 20 yards. Uh, and for Bolton, it'll be a, a Connor Bradley right wing back cut back to Kyle Dempsey to file home, as discussed from around the penalty spot. So my League One playoff brackets is Sheffield Wednesday take on Barnsley in the final at Wembley. And despite all the pressure, I think Wednesday would win that game. Just. I know Barnsley won the, the, the last... A regular season game between the two. It's a crazy game. It's an amazing game. But I think Wednesday will do it. I think Wednesday will win promotion from League One at Wembley, beating Barnsley. What's your general brackety thoughts? I think Sheffield Wednesday are the likely winners for sure. I think if I was to have a bet, and I am having a bet, um, I would back Barnsley at 5-2. to two. I think the uh, looking at the outright market, the, the 6-4 to four about Wednesday looks unbackable really I, I think um, like it, it's it's incredibly short about a side who as I say I think there have got to be concerns over their ability to um, to manage the high pressure situation they've got themselves into I think Peterborough are pretty dangerous opponents as would be Barnsley or Bolton in the final um, so I, I think Sheffield Wednesday are the best team there's no denying that if they were 2-1 to one, I'd be interested um, but I think at 5-2 to two, Barnsley the, are the value pick In League 2 we start with 4th against 7th that is Stockport County against Salford City. Now, on final day, uh, Stockport knew that if they beat uh, Hartlepool, already relegated Hartlepool at home, and Northampton Town dropped points away at Tranmere, uh, Stockport would win automatic promotion. But they couldn't beat Hartlepool. It was a one-all draw. Uh, they were thwarted many times by an amazing goalkeeping performance from Ben Killip. They were certainly the team in the ascendancy for the most part, but they didn't get the win. Uh, they head into the playoffs as favourites, George, and they host Salford. And this is really one to look forward to and I promise you I'm not going to say that about every tie I'm definitely not <laughs> going to say it about the next tie that we talk about <laughs> uh, but Stockport Salford I really do like uh, for me it's kind of immovable object meets irresistible force uh, George and I'd love to hear how you think it's going to go the two teams met um, just a couple of weeks ago in, in a one-all draw um, with Stockport at home in a game where um, it kind of went as you would imagine with Stockport who have the second best uh, defensive record in the whole league behind Leighton Orient um, were able to kind of uh, stifle Salford to an extent um, but then themselves weren't really able to create too much I think that might be 
the theme here. And in my mind, especially in playoff campaigns, this is always, I think, important, is that you've got in Stockport an unbelievably solid, resolute football team with a manager in Dave Chandler who's looking for his third consecutive promotion, having won the playoffs with Hartlepool from the National League and then getting promoted with Stockport last season out of that same league. Up against a one of the most exciting teams in the division in Salford who have these ridiculous games. They've won three consecutive games, 3-2, away from home with mad late goals. You know, they've managed to somehow find their way into the into the top seven. Um, it's Neil Wood's first season in management. I think that can, you can kind of see it in the way that they play. Um, often they can be incredibly possession heavy, but it's always fairly entertaining. And they've got a lot of players in, in, who I, I think are destined to play at a higher level with or without Salford. Um, Elliot Watt being one of them, Callum Hendry being another. Obviously, Matt Smith, who's already been there and done it and played higher previously. But in the, when it comes down to um, a playoff game, I'd probably always want a side with a side who can basically rely on their, their very good defensive unit. And especially when you consider that Salford have lost to nil in three of their last four home games. And when you think that Salford, without some late drama away from home, they're, you know, if you take, I know you can't take those out, and certainly in terms of their mentality and never say die attitude, it's a massive positive. But they're not far away from from posting some pretty bad results um, fairly recently. Um, Stop obviously without Carl Witten, that I know you're you're pretty concerned about in terms of their firepower. I, I totally agree. You know, he is an incredibly important player for them. And we watched the game against Hartlepool on Monday, um, where they needed a win and for Northampton to drop points to get promoted. And they, did, they didn't They did look as good in open play as you'd expect. They had two penalties in the game. They scored one and missed the other. Um, but it was a weird game where I think there was expectation going into it that they might be able to force their way in. But Northampton taking the lead after five minutes kind of meant that it was never really on. And I'd normally be pretty keen to avoid a team like Northampton last season who've, who faced heartbreak on final day going into a playoff campaign. I don't think that's really happened here. I think Stockport have gone on a pretty good run for the last three or four months to force their way into the reckoning when they were mid-table for, for a long part of it. And I still maintain that when Stockport are at their best, I think they're the best team in League Two where they just shut teams down who just cannot create anything against them and are, and are solid enough to to create enough going forward. You know, they're not toothless as an attacking force. So... A really interesting game stylistically. Two incredibly ambitious clubs who I'm sure if either of them do get promoted will be supported to try and push further up, not just consolidate in League One, but try and force their way into the top end of League One. High stakes and obviously not too far geographically separating the two either. Yeah, it's going to be so good this. It's going to be so good at Stockport defensively ridiculous over the last couple of months they're unbeaten in 13 games they've only conceded six goals in that time um they play pretty high line they're not they're, they're certainly like they're a good defensive team without having a defensive mindset if that makes sense um they're just a good all-round team horseful is an absolute beast in the air as we know uh crowsdale the defensive midfield i think is really important a bit of an unsung hero for them um sort of knits everything together but also uh, uh, provides them that protection uh, in front of the back four they're an incredibly solid team but i think based in the last two months i just think that they're lacking a bit of killer instinct in attack. Um, they've only scored more than once in a game in three of their last 14 in League Two. And chance creations just looked a little bit laboured at times. Um, they, 
They play with a lot of width and they put a lot of crosses into the box. I think they put the most crosses into the box uh, in League Two. Now, that is not a problem. That can be a, a great avenue for creating chances when you've got the strikers uh, in the middle, but also when you've got uh, midfielders crashing the box. They have got that when everyone's fit. Kyle Witten is, in my mind, the best all-round striker in League Two. Actually, that's probably a lie. Andy Cook's goals mean that he, he's probably been the best all-round striker in League Two. But as a profile of player, I think Wooten is right up there in League Two terms because he's such a good target, um, because he can bring others into play really well. Uh, and he's injured at the moment and he won't play here. And that is that is a big issue for me because their other strikers are not the same type of striker. Olafe is like a speedster, like a on the shoulder, a Stretton. Uh, again, more of a poacher, I would say. And Paddy Madden, who has a great partnership with Wooten, well, he's he, he's good in the air. He scores headed goals, but he's not so much of a target man, if that makes sense. Um, he also didn't start the last two games, Madden, so I don't know if they were just wrapping him in cotton wool, whether he's carrying an injury, what that is. Certainly, Stretton and Alafo for me, just, just not offering the same as Wooten. And certainly Madden as well if he doesn't start. So that's kind of my concern for them. They're obviously a very strong all-round team. I don't expect them as a team to be particularly leaky but Salford is such a good attacking side I really do believe that I think they are you know if you're neutral listening to this you haven't watched Salford this season they're the closest you'll get to a League Two team that attacks like a Premier League team you mentioned their manager Neil Wood he was the Manchester United under 23s manager so perhaps it's not a a big surprise Uh, they attack in a similar way and, and they try some similar patterns to a lot of Premier League sides You'll often see one of the fullbacks coming uh, inside into the middle of the pitch. Um, they're a possession-heavy team. They like having the ball. And one of the reasons why the fullbacks come inside is in order to get their wide players um, you know, isolated, high and wide, 1v1 against their fullbacks. Because for me, the most exciting players on the pitch are Louis Barry on the left and Luke Bolton on the right. Both really good dribblers. Uh, of course, you've got Elliot Watt with his passing range, a player that we love at the base of midfield as well, who, who knits everything together and has really expansive range um, but for me the big moments are going to be uh, 1v1 out wide getting into those situations and seeing what happens when Barry and Bolton get on the ball then they got Callum Hendry up top who is you know I said Wooten I thought was one of the best all-round strikers in the league too Hendry's in that conversation as well he's he is also someone that can mix it physically uh, he can press he can carry the ball he can score goals uh, he's a real menace all round so as you can tell I like Salford a lot going forward I do have some concerns about them at the back where they they look just very wobbly at the moment. Vassell and Mariapa, the back, uh, the centre-backs, I think they've got defensive errors in them. I think they've got errors in possession in them as well. And I, I can easily see Stockport winning this for some reason, George. Maybe because I just wanted to live a little. I've picked Salford to win. As I just think if it all clicks for them, they're the sort of team that could score three goals in a half and kind of put the tie to bed. I'm regretting it as I say it, but for me, the winner of the League Two playoffs comes from this tie. And I assumed I'd pick Stockport, but I'm just going off some sort of weird instinct that Salford are going to fire their way through. So that's my pick to go through. Yeah, I think Stockport will, will emerge from this victorious. I, I agree that I think the winner will come from this tie. I think you're having to take a massive leap of faith, which we'll get onto in a second, that either of the other two teams would be able to, to beat one of these two at Wembley. Um, I've gone a very different way to you in terms of my tip. I'm backing under 0.5 Salford goals in, in the first leg. Basically, I think that Stockport will come here with a very clear idea, especially with Stop with Salford having failed to score in three of their last four home games. And that will be if we shut them down at home, if we can find a way to get back to Edgeley Park um, level or having not conceded, then you know we're going to be in a strong position to do that. And I think they are perfectly capable of doing so. 
Um, so yeah, at eleven to five under, basically Stockport to keep to keep a clean sheet with the Betfair Sportsbook is my selection. I'm going to back Callum Hendry at two to one to score any time here, based on uh, my discussion of Salford's impressive attack. Uh, I think Hendry is the one. Uh, so two to one any time is my pick, not my strongest selection. I think it's fair to say. Uh, and then how about Bradford City against Carlisle United, fifth against sixth in League Two? Um, George, both of these teams finished on seventy six points. Uh, both of them conceded 43 goals from their 46 games. Uh, Carlisle scored five goals more than Bradford over the course of the season, but certainly not over the last couple of months because both of these teams have kind of been grinding, right? Bradford in their last 12, four wins, six draws, two defeats. Carlisle in their last 12, three wins, six draws, three defeats. You know, there's a lot to be said for their uh, strong constitution, George, these two teams in getting over the line. But it'd be hard to say they're both in absolute full swing right now. Yeah, I mean, I think Carlisle's form in particular is is really concerning, um, and it, it can be the case this when you have a team who's, you know, who've overachieved their preseason ambitions significantly. Um, it's hard to maintain that over the course of a whole season. I'd almost say that kind of Stevenage, despite, despite finishing second, we saw it with them as well, where they were unable, even though they, they managed to find a way to grind out the results. The performances certainly were not as dominant in the second part of the campaign as the first. And looking at Carlisle's recent form, you know, they've won two games um, basically since mid-March, a 2-0 home win against Tranmere and a 1-0 away win against Barrow, basically two teams with, with nothing to play for. And just an inability to score goals. They drew nil-nil with Stevenage, nil-nil in the away game at Bradford, nil-nil at Walsall, they uh, nil-nil at home to Northampton. They lost one-nil against Gillingham away from home, one-nil against Leighton Orient away from home. Like it's fairly miserable stuff. And even away at Sutton on final day, a Sutton side who had proper, properly, you know, given up basically in terms of, of of their recent performances going into that game. It was a bit of a freak own, jo- own goal from Joe Kizzy that ended up getting Carlisle a, a goal and a point. They are going to have to improve no end in my mind if they're going to have any chance of winning these playoffs. And I think this, you know, for them to be as short as they are uh, with the Betfair Sportsbook, I think they're second favourites uh, at 11-4. to four. They are, yeah, to, to, to win. I, I just can't see that at all. I think they are, in my mind, at least the rank outsiders of the four uh, to to win it, um, and that is said with all respect to Paul Simpson. I think he's done an incredible job. Um, it's just how you're having to anticipate for some reason they're going to improve no end, and I'm not really willing to do that. Um, with Bradford, you know they come into this, I think, in more solid form. It was a funny one on final day where they they basically needed a point against Leighton Orient and got it. Um, but it wasn't the most convincing display, having been beaten 3-2 away from home against lowly crew who had nothing to play for in a game where if they'd won that, they'd have had a chance of breaking into the top three. Having said that, they did go to Northampton and beat them, three to, uh, sorry, beat them 2-1 in um, a massive game for them, which is impressive. I think their away form over the whole course of the season has been very good. Their home form recently has been fine as well, beating Grimsby, beating Sutton, scoring goals in the process. Th- they'd be the ones I'd be more comfortable siding with but as I say, I think at this stage, the, the best two teams in the League Two playoffs, I think, are facing each other in the other game. Yeah, Carlisle's last 12 league games have seen only 19 goals total. That's less than, uh, was just over 1.5 goals per game. That's with a 3-2 in there as well, and I think a 2-all. So 10 of their last 12 games have seen basically 10 goals in them. Uh, it's It's been a tough watch in recent months, certainly in terms of open play attack. 
And I've talked about it a couple of times. I've, despite all the amazing things that Paul Simpson has done for this Carlisle side, completely transformed them from a, a relegation scrapper to a playoff side. Just in terms of going forward over the last few months, I, I have found it a bit of a difficult watch because they signed Joe Garner in January and they almost immediately seemed to switch to a very direct style in order to suit Garner and bring the best out of him because he is, you know, he's, he's so physically good and he brings others into play. Um, but he he's not the most mobile. Uh, he was winning a lot of aerial duels, but he wasn't necessarily didn't have the right partner maybe with him. He wasn't really scoring himself. It meant that Christian Dennis, who had racked up a load of goals in the first half of the season and is much more of a poacher type, they didn't really work as a partnership. And they just seemed to to lose all of their threat almost all at once. They had a bit of a counter-attacking threat and that went. Um, they have had five strikers basically since January. Garner, Dennis, Patrick, uh, Edmondson and Gordon. And they just haven't find the, found the right combo, basically. Uh, between that lot, only five non-penalty goals scored in the last 18 games, which when you've got two up top, isn't great. Uh, Mellish being suspended for them for both semi-final games does not help at all. He plays left centre-back Mellish in a back three, and he's the one that allows them a bit of fluidity by breaking forward from left centre-back. He's the one that can carry it uh, and and you know attack inside all the way into the opposition box, and that's caused opposition defence's problems this season, but he's out injured. The good news for Carlisle is they're massively on it still defensively. Um, otherwise, they simply would not have made the playoffs. They are still very good at keeping the opposition at arm's length. They defend their box really well, in particular Huntington and Feeney, very good uh, penalty box defenders. And they are a good set-piece team, and they have scored quite a few goals from set-pieces over the last few months, whether it's Barkley or Feeney. They do have a threat on that front. Uh, I'm finding it hard to be really optimistic, um, partly because they come up against a Bradford team I just think is a slightly better side right now. They have, in particular, the best goalkeeper uh, right now in Harry Lewis. Um, outside of Vigaru, he's he's been the best goalkeeper in League Two for sure. Um, it's actually the first time he's been a first-choice goalkeeper, Harry Lewis, since alone at Dundee United in 2017-18. He's just been hiding at Southampton for the last few years. We've been, you know, they've been we've been denied watching Harry Lewis being a great goalkeeper, but he is excellent. And then, of course, there's the top goal scorer, Andy Cook, who has been a great goal scorer this season, but isn't just a goal scorer, if that makes sense. He is a good hold-up player. He's good in the air. He brings others into play. And even occasionally when he drifts out wide and picks it up from deep, he, he can get he can build ahead of steam when he's carrying it. He scored a couple of goals this season where he's just carried it and carried it and fired home. So... Good individuals for Bradford, my personal opinion, is that they should be better than they are. I don't think, as a team, they are that impressive. Uh, they've been a good set-piece team. Uh, Stubbs has been very good at the back in the last few months. Their full-backs put a lot of crosses in with mixed quality, I'd say, right, Alshon Halliday. And they've got individuals like Scott Banks, who's capable of the spectacular, uh, left-footed, sort of IN Robben type on loan from Crystal Palace. They've got Walker as a number 10, who again is a player that, that can provide quality, but I don't feel like these guys do it enough, basically. So I don't know how you think this game's going to go. My vision is that it's difficult to see many goals being scored. I think a, a quite a turgid, quite a tight few games can be expected. I think that Mark Hughes will go with a midfield three of Smallwood and Gilead and Clayton who's back after eight games out. I think he'll go for the experience and the extra body midfield rather than go more exciting and maybe play a, a three behind Cook, which could be Isa or Pereira or Nevers. 
none of those guys have shown much consistency. So I, I'm expecting not a lot here, George. In fact, my my goal scorer pick is no goal scorer at six to one in the first leg. Yeah, I, I've kind of gone down a similar line where I think Bradford might be able to find a goal to win the game. I wouldn't be confident on Carlisle being able to score, and as such, I think one nil is a fair scoreline to to predict and if Bradford are going to score well who's it likely to be uh, that man Andy Cook top goal scorer in league two um so a bit of a big price one and I, I don't think I've really backed a, like a, a scorecast since I was at university um but I'm going to here for the first time in a long time and, and put up and back uh, Andy Cook 1-0 Bradford in the first leg at 18 to 1. Yeah I like that I actually think it might be 1-0 to Bradford after two legs I think that could be the aggregate wow. score here. <laughs> Bradford one, Carlisle nil. Um, I'm predicting, yeah, very much one for the purists, but I'm probably going to be completely wrong. So uh, interested to hear what you guys think. My League Two bracket has Salford getting past Stockport uh, and Bradford getting past uh, Carlisle. And I think that Salford would enjoy the big pitch at Wembley. I think Louis Barry and Luke Bolton, as you can tell, players I like a lot, could have a lot of joy. And, and I'd be picking Salford City to win the playoffs personally. Yeah, Stockport for me, as you may have guessed. Um, I just think they're the best team out of the four and I think they will, you know, they've got the advantage in the dugout, I think as well, with Challenger having been there and done it. I understand your concerns over Wooten, but, uh, you know, I think they are by far the best of the three favourites and, you know, more so than Borough, more so than the Sheffield Wednesday and they're the biggest price of the three and I'm happy to back them at 7-4 to do so. Yeah, don't worry. I think... Even I think I'm being a bit of an idiot here. So, <laughs> uh, As for specific League 2 playoff goal predictions, get excited to see these guys. Uh, Salford's will be Luke Bolton receiving it out wide on the right, isolating a fullback, carrying it, beating the man to the byline, firing it across, tapped in by Barry at the back stick, or maybe McElhenney, depending on who starts in that left-sided forward role. Uh, Stockport's goal, I can see a hussy corner and a horseful thumping set-piece header. Uh, Bradford, I'm not going to go for the obvious Andy Cook. Uh, I'm going to go Scott Banks receiving the ball out wide, cutting inside and doing a, a Manuel Benson, an I.N. Robin into the far corner. Uh, and if Carlisle are to score in these playoffs... I think it'll be a back post set piece header by Morgan Feeney. So, okay, I'm going to try and recap what we've said here, George. I'll do the brackets as best I can, and then we'll do our betting picks. Um, I think that Luton will beat Coventry in the championship playoffs, and you think that Luton will beat Borough in the final. Um, I know that we look at this a little bit differently, so if I'm wrong, please correct me. We both think the Sheffield Wednesday will beat Barnsley. Uh, in the League One playoff final win promotion. And in League Two, I think that Salford will beat Bradford and you've got Stockport beating Bradford. Is that fair to say? And if not, why? No, it is. It is fair to say. I mean, I, I'm backing Barnsley because it's it's about price. But as I said, I do think Wednesday are rightful favourites. So it does make sense. But my, you know, we, we've done a Betfair column as well on B.B, betting.betfair. So go and check that out if you want to read um, a very specific betting preview. But my my three selections for the for for. Those purposes are uh, Luton, Barnsley and Stockport, which I think is about a 35 to 1 treble. Uh, yeah, my picks are uh, Luton and Sheffield Wednesday and Salford City. That is a 40.63, the treble with the Betfair Sportsbook. Uh, and for the betting show, fans, George, uh, could you just run me through your tie specific picks as well for the semi-finals? Yeah, Luton draw no bet in the first leg at 19 to 20 at the Stadium of Light. 
Riley McGree, anytime goal scorer, 11 to 2 for Borough at Coventry. Uh, Wednesday to win in 90 minutes at 13 to 8 at Posh. Under 1.5 goals in the game between um, Bolton and Barnsley in the first leg. Under 0.5 Salford goals at 11 to 5 uh, in the home leg against Stockport. And then a 1 0 win for Bradford with Andy Cook scoring at 18 to 1. Goal scorers for me have got some really good memories of a Dan Juma goal. I think it was two years ago that did some good things for me on this front. So we go again, Tom Lockyer, 20 to 1 anytime for Luton uh, against Sunderland. Uh, I like Cameron Archer to score at 13 to 5 anytime. All these prices with the Betfair Sportsbook. In the Wednesday Peterborough game, I'm going with Jack Taylor of Posh at 7 to 1. And in the Barnsley Bolton game, similar type player, Kyle Dempsey, attacking midfield player at 11 to 2 anytime. Uh, in League Two, I'm going for Callum Hendry, 2 to 1 anytime in the Salford Stockport game. And no goal scorer at 6-1 to one in the Bradford Carlisle first leg. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this. We've just dumped as much as we possibly can on you. Hopefully lots of good info and exciting preview material, some opinion in there as well, as always. Um, let us know what you think about our predictions, our thoughts, what you're looking forward to. We love hearing from you at NTT20Pod on Twitter. As I mentioned at the top, the NTT20 squad is really is the best place to be, I think, uh, in general, but also over the next two weeks as we consume uh, 12 playoff semi-finals. So do join using the link in the bio. You'll get a two-week free trial. Go and join us in the NTT20 squad. It'd be great to see you on there. Make sure you say hi uh, in the main chat if you do sign up. Massive, massive, massive thanks to Betfair for sponsoring this podcast throughout this season. Only a couple of weeks to go, guys, but we'll be here every step of the way. We appreciate you so much for listening, uh, and it's been a bit of fun. Go well.